how much care is taken in preparing our loved ones for burial. In today's story, a female embalmer shares with us her process and how important her profession is. Stay tuned. Welcome to Stories of Hope. I'm Christine Hotchkiss. Each week I bring you stories that inspire, educate, and give you hope. I want to thank my sponsor and podcast producer, The Motivated Mind Group. No one really wants to think about what will happen with our body or the body of our loved ones after we pass away. If burial is the chosen option, not understanding the process of preparing the body can cause anxiety. Today, my guest is Monica Torres, a world-renowned embalmer who provides the utmost in professionalism and care with each loved one she prepares. Welcome, Monica. Thank you for having me, Christine. Yes, you have a, um, a name that you have made for yourself and I was like, I got to know more about you. More so your profession, actually. Today's conversation is going to be either heavy for some or enlightening for others. And we'll start with the fact that um, you're a funeral director and an embalmer, a female embalmer. I don't know that that is like a trend, but you have started one with women coming out and saying, I can do that too. So today, we're actually going to talk about both the, the hard parts of it and the lighter part of it. And my story, most people know, is that I lost my daughter. And the one thing that when I met you on a conversation, and I might cry, so we have Kleenex here too. You, we're gonna need it we're for gonna, this one. Most definitely, <laughs> is um, going through uncertainty in emotions and not knowing what that meant. Death is something that a lot of people are afraid of, even though we know we're all gonna die. And I don't know if it's about death or how we're going to die, suddenly or slowly, right? When I had to have someone prepare my daughter for um, her viewing, I spoke to someone not knowing what embalming was. And that gave me a peace to know that if I told them what I wanted her to look like for the very last time, that, that they would see my vision having never met her except for her being where she was. So I'm gonna actually have you share with me, first of all, why an embalmer and what is embalming? Well, two great questions. I'm going to answer the first one um, or the second question first, which mm -hmm. is what is embalming? I think that's a really important question to ask since mm -hmm. it's kind of the highlight of what we're talking about today. And embalming, simply put, is a three-part process of disinfection, preservation, and restoration of the dead human body. That's it. That's all it is. That's a simple structure. That's a simple structure, yes. And why did I go into embalming? Um, I was, I like to think um, that my beloved profession is a calling for people. If people are not, uh, most funeral directors, if they're not born into a funeral family, they are called into the profession. And I, I feel like that's what happened to me is that I was called um, into the profession. It is kind of like a ministry. And once I um, got into the profession and got my feet wet, I wanted to be a funeral director 90% of the time. I had no interest in working on bodies. But once I got licensed and started doing the job, 
I realized that my true talents were in the back preparing loved ones. And um, my bosses at the time told me the same thing. They're like, you know what, this is an area where you shine and we want to encourage you to keep moving down this path. And I meet families as well. I'm a licensed funeral director and embalmer and cremationist. But um, I always come back to that craft. You call it a craft. And Mm -hmm. I find that interesting because in the real world, we find a craft to be something more uplifting. Mm -hmm. And for you, it is. And so when I think about like anyone, death, that's the end of anything. But you bring life to the visual part of these individuals for the families to see their loved one for the very last time. That is hard. That's a hard job. In my opinion, that's a hard job. It's like thinking about someone who's a coroner. How do you deal with something that has no life in it? And then you, I don't even know how to ask how you do it because I would think you become desensitized. But in fact, learning about something that you had done recently with your best friend, you have very much emotion attached to each individual that you have come, a, have come across you. Yes, I, um, I do believe that it is a learned skill. And to be, um, to be a good funeral director or embalmer, you do have to learn how to control your emotions. And I don't call it, I don't necessarily want to say detach, mm-hmm. but you have to learn how to control your emotions. So that is a learned skill that I've become, have come to master over the years. But there is, um, I get very attached to the families that I serve. Wow. Very attached. Um, and there's some more than others, of course, just like any other kind of business. But those families that I do become attached to, um, I mean, I have families that I've served over the years, their baby, grandma, husbands like you know multiple family members and family members and friends so that kind of bond is really really strong um i don't i don't know how if there's another way to explain it except that it's just a really strong bond have you ever had someone come across your care that you knew that's a great question and i would say for any um future funeral directors, anyone who's thinking about becoming a funeral director or an embalmer, is that you need to know that up front, is that you will have loved ones who will come in your care. So for absolutely, I have cared for uh, several of my best friends that unfortunately died within a two-year period. Um, Children of close friends, grandparents, um, cousins and friend of friends of friends. So absolutely, I think that when there's a death, the one per, if you know a funeral director, a mortician, an embalmer, and it's your loss, you're going to call the person you know. So absolutely, um, I have friends and family have reached out to me. Um, my friend Laura, one of my best friends, I took care of her after her passing. She struggled with cancer and she was just taken from us Mm. too soon didn't expect it just we had like a year and then she was gone so um how did you deal with that because you deal with a a lot of people that you don't know I don't know if you know about how they die if that's given to you how did you deal with that because that's now very personal yes it was really personal and um I also helped the family through the funeral arrangement as well. 
So it wasn't just in the back, in the preparation room. I was there for the entire process. I was there up until the time she died through the funeral arrangement, embalming her body. And I acted as the funeral director. Oh my gosh. As well. The on, whole the, on the service. You had a whole full circle right there. It really was. Um, it was not easy. It was one of the most difficult things I've had to do, but um, I actually have a, a video that I released and your your uh, listeners can take a look at that if they want on my YouTube channel. But the only, I guess the only way that I can say like, how did I do it is that I just, I, I did it like for her family. I just did it. I it's like what I do, right? It's but my you job. had an emotion that had to come to service on this. It did, it did. But I also like she was one of my best friends, so it was kind of one of those things where it's like, no, I'm gonna take care of her. Like I Protective. don't want anybody else to take care of her. I will do it. Like I'll take care of her. And it was really healing for me, believe it or not. That time that I had with her. I mean, most of us, someone passes and then they're just taken away, and then you get invited to a funeral. And it's, you know, a couple hours, you're scared. So you probably show up late because mm-hmm. you don't even really want to go because right, you're afraid. Right. By the time you get there and, and get the courage enough to go up to the casket, you know, it's two hours have passed. And then you have 30 minutes, maybe if you're lucky, you might only have five minutes, two minutes with your loved one because there's so many people around. So... I looked at it as a gift. Like I had, you know, a good four hours with her while I prepared her body, embalmed her, um, came home the next day, spent time with her, dressing her, you know, getting her all done up. Everyone else had minutes. I have to ask this question. It might sound insensitive and I never ever do anything being insensitive. That darn TikTok has some great stuff on it, and it's addicting. <laughs> okay, I go. I can't even watch it. But I can't there turn was it off. something that was on there that came across. I don't know a long time ago. Someone that's that does what you do. Mm-hmm. Do you ever have conversations, saying anything that gives you like more peace? I don't know if that's the right word to say. Like your friend, were you talking to her? Were you able to say? Yeah, I do convers- sometimes. Okay. Yeah, sometimes. I don't know how to ask the question, but I'm curious. <laughs> I think you know? most people are. Okay. Yeah, I do sometimes, but you know, every funeral director is different, and some people get a little mushy. Most of the time, when I'm talking to the dead, I'm telling them, "Help you, help me, help you." Like I'm trying to roll them over or something. But um, but I did. I did talk to Laura, and I told her, you know, you're gonna look so pretty and oh. and whatever. But most of the time, I have music playing in the background that. Like I said, like this is my job. So I have the music playing in the background to kind of lighten up the the ambiance in the room. And um, some morticians I know will play music that the deceased like. Oh, wow. So um, when my friend Ashley died, I played her favorite songs. I played all the Cure and like all the songs that she loved. Um, but when Laura passed away, I felt like I needed to listen to like my music. Okay. You know, so I listened to the, the jams that I wanted to jam out to and kind of just went about that was the way that I dealt with my own grief, I guess. Mm-hmm. But um, but yeah, I do. I, I talk to them sometimes, but um, it's it's more to me. The person is not there anymore. And I know some people get wrapped up in thinking that the spirit is lingering around the body. I personally don't believe that. I believe if if that's what you think and you believe in 
the spirits lingering, they're not with me. <laughs> they're not in the prep room with me. They're with their family. Right, right. They're at the home with their family. Right. You know, there, there's, I just, I don't know. I, I never really get that feeling um, when I'm in the preparation room. It's, it's kind of, um, well, you know, you lost your daughter. I mean, you put your hand on that person's hand and it's, it's just different. Mm, it's very different. It's just different. It's There's empty. just, it's empty. There's like very nothing empty. there. It's mm-hmm. like, you might as well be touching the chair mm-hmm. next to that person or whatever. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, I do sometimes, but not, I don't think I'm not that kind of embalmer that has these full on conversations with people. Most of the time I'm troubleshooting and what I'm trying to do is I'm, I'm trying to create the best possible outcome. Mm-hmm. And that takes a lot of, um, chemical dilution. There's a lot of um, math involved, chemistry. Um, there's also, I'm under pressure a lot of times, time, mm-hmm. right? Most people want to have a funeral right away. Mm-hmm. So I'm under a lot of pressure typically. So having conversations with the dead at that point is not on the top of my list. <laughs> I, I asked that just because I think there's a part of us that wants to know yeah. how you guys connect, don't connect, or just process you know, the bodies. Yeah. And I don't want to say that insensitively either. I hope I don't get in trouble for yeah. that. But you had a friend. That's why I said you've known family members and a friend that came through. And it's like, there is an emotion attachment. There is. Um, but I personally, when I am embalming, mm-hmm. I, I have to, I personally, just me, I can't speak for any other morticians, but I have to put on my work hat. And so I can't break down. I can't cry. I can't get emotional. I could cut myself. You know, I could I'm I'm I could mix the wrong solution. I could swell the loved one that I'm working on. So I have to be really focused. I have to take those emotions, compartmentalize, put them aside, not forever, because that's not good. You but I while I'm embalming, I do put those emotions aside and I complete my work as a professional. After I'm done, when I go home, I allow myself to break down, cry lean on, you know, my loved ones, my but my mother, my boyfriend, whoever it is, my other friends, you know, we used each other as support during that time quite a bit. Mm-hmm. But during that process, when I'm working on a loved one, I just can't let that part come through. Otherwise, I wouldn't be able to do my job. Um, embalming itself is, the, it's a science and an art. Tell and me so the Science part is, I think, what most people think of when they think of like an embalmer. They think of like a coroner and somebody that's doing research or um, doing a, a autopsy, right? But embalming is a lot more than that. It's not just about science. It's about art. It's about cosmetics. It's about um, hair, makeup, nails, preservation, uh, disinfection. All of that all pulled together. And if you're really good at it. You can create an acceptable appearance for the family and give them a last memory that is maybe better than the last one that they had before that person passed. And that's my goal, really. So embalming, what exactly is it to have people that don't know what that is? Yeah, so the process is... it. There's, it's a spectrum, first of all. There are different types of embalming, but I think when most people ask what is embalming, Um, We basically remove, our goal is to remove the blood, the bacteria-rich blood from the body, which is furthering decomposition in the body, and we replace that blood with a preservative solution, which most people know as formaldehyde. 
Nowadays, we have a lot of different types of solution we, we use, including green chemicals that are you know, supposedly safe for the environment. Um, but that's the process. Remove the blood, clean the body, remove any kind of bacteria that's going to further decomposition so that we can halt time. So when families say, well, what, why would I, you know, what is this value of this? Why would I want to do this? Mm-hmm. My response, very simply put, is that embalming buys us the gift of time. Mm. I would have never thought that. I know there's a time frame when someone passes away within five days, maybe seven, depending on what's going on, you have the service. Is there a reason why there's that five, seven days? I think that's just traditionally okay. in our in our society. But, you know, I've embalmed bodies that have held for months. So uh, even up to close to a year. So there's not really a rush. If you have, um, if the embalming job is done really well, then you can, it can last for, you know, months and months. But it also depends on the circumstances of the death. That plays a big part in how long the embalming lasts as well. Wow, I would have never thought that that was a restriction. Yeah, skill of the embalmer and circumstances of the death. Those are the two things that really depend on how long the body will last. Now, if someone knows they're going to cremate their loved one, like for instance, my daughter, I had an open casket, um, but then I also had her cremated thereafter. Mm-hmm. Does that have anything to do with anything as far as being embalmed? I mean, knowing that this, this individual is going to be cremated, is it the process you do it anyways? I'm trying to understand why you would embalm it, the body, excuse me, well, say it, I'm sorry. Yep. If you're, I completely understand. Um, well, the only the only difference is is that you're we're trying to preserve the body and state long enough for your family and friends to come and view your loved one where there's no odor, mm-hmm. there is no breakdown of tissues, oh. the body is not leaking. Okay, okay, okay. So that's what embalming does is it kind of it retards the decomposition process for a time. It's not permanent. I like to say my embalmings are permanent, but in all reality, it's not necessarily a permanent act. We're just halting the decomposition long enough to be able to see our loved ones in a dignified state. Makes sense. So the cremation, whether you cremate a loved one after uh, the loved one is embalmed, it doesn't really have any bearing. Yep, it's just a matter of disposition at that point. So... We talked previous to this, and um, 2020 was a hard year for a lot of people. And I understand you were busy as well. Yes, um, 2020 and 2021 were the busiest years of my business, for sure. Um, I've been in business almost 14 years as a trade service provider in the uh, Phoenix metro area in the state of Arizona. And by far, 2020, 2021, and um, you know, the beginning of 2022 were really difficult. It was very, very busy embalming and preparing bodies for for loved ones. So the reason why I bring that up, not is to go back into a time of a year that we were all changed on many levels, but to to give more comfort to anyone that lost a loved one in that time frame. I know you were busy and we all heard about how we were so frustrated we couldn't see our loved ones that were in the hospital or passed away or whatever the situation was. And I know there was probably a, a heaviness on your heart seeing all these individuals for whatever reason coming through your care. Thank you. Your My care, loving hands. Your loving hands. That's right. Is there anything that you could provide anyone that would be seeing or hearing this 
that didn't get to have that moment. I, I want to give comfort at the same time that we're getting educated as to what it is that you're doing because that's the last thing you see, we see, is what you've prepared. You know, Christine, it's really hard to answer that question, and I wish that I could really offer your listeners um, a story of hope mm-hmm. and you know, <laughs> in that aspect, but the reality was, is is that that was a really dark time and there were we were inundated with loved ones and I wish that I could say that I would have given every single person the care that they deserved but the numbers were absolutely too great um Mm. we were I mean you know we had our chapels were full of you know bodies because we had run out of room in the cooler Mm. and we had had to close the funeral homes down because we were using those areas to store bodies where they were typically having services. So to say that every person got the care that they deserve, it's just simply not true. And I I would be lying if I said that. Um, I know the loved ones that I did have the opportunity to care for, I worked really, really, really hard to make sure that those embalmings were thorough enough Mm -hmm. that if the family was having a service two or three months down the road that there would be an opportunity for an open casket so where i saw a lot of embalmers turning bodies over you know every hour hour and a half i was working on these cases you know for four or five hours at a time Mm -hmm. because i wanted to make sure that that embalming was thorough enough that the family would have an opportunity to see them. I'm, and that's what I was looking for yeah. because there was so much frustration, so many answered, unanswered, excuse me, unanswered yeah. questions, and no one really knew where why? their bodies were and why. And that's why I asked that because you were the, the one of those so individuals. Hard. It was just so, so hard. Um, and I mean, there is one moment during the pandemic where I remember I was and I embalmed at night so I would go in at seven o'clock because I didn't want to get COVID and the funeral directors that were meeting families were all falling ill oh from wow meeting families and so I would go in after hours where I could control my environment with PPEs and a respirator and um, embalm these cases so I made it through the entire pandemic Um, the first two years of it without contracting COVID. But those, those times were so dark. I can't, I can't tell you um, how many times I found myself alone in a sea of 23 dead bodies, all of them needing care, everyone needing care, everyone needing to get from A to B. Right. And there just wasn't enough hours in the day. You know, there just, there just wasn't enough time. So I can truly say that I did everything that I could for the families that I did serve, my me personally, and the funeral homes that hired me to um, help them because I was part of a support staff. Um, but we all just did our best. And unfortunately, in a time during the pandemic where your best is not good enough, it's hard to swallow. It's, gonna, hard, it's hard to take that to bed at night. Still. I'm going to say that you can be in any field and feel that same thing that your best isn't good enough. Mm-hmm. But that was a time frame where there was so much going on. And we won't dwell on that anymore because that that could continue to go on. I think it's going to be in history for a long time. It is. It is. And I, I just want to say, you know, the families that are out there, um, you know, you're not alone mm-hmm. and continue to seek 
uh, support because there are other people who lost loved ones during the pandemic. Whole families were lost at the same time. So you're not alone. Keep working on you. Keep working on your grief journey and stay moving, moving forward. So that brings me to something else. And I, I tread carefully and lightly because this is, a t- this is a sensitive topic. Death is not something we're prepared for. The unexpected could happen, as I have experienced. Um, and then there's uh, individuals where they get to watch their loved one die. And I say that delicately, not insensitively by any means. Um, recently, I learned that there's other ways to have services for your loved one. A home service. Do you know anything about that when it comes to the loved one being? Yes. Yes. The home funerals are uh, up and coming option for families. Um, I like to call it DYI funerals <laughs> <laughs> for the sake of just so people can understand what it is. But um, there are states where you can prepare your loved one and prepare the funeral and file the death certificate, even in some cases legally. As a civilian, you don't have to have a funeral director. Um, being a funeral director, I don't, I don't particularly recommend that to families because um, it's just a, it's a lot of work during a time when you're grieving. But there are some families out there that they do want to take the burden on, and they want that undertaking. It's part of their their grief journey. And so I personally like, who am I to say no? You. You can't grieve like that. You know, I'm just here to assist you on your path. So um, I do help families that um, want to prepare a home funeral and they're looking for someone to care for the body at home because that can be stressful, especially here in Arizona where it's so hot, um, keeping the body at the right temperature. And there are laws regarding dead human bodies. Like you have to know the law. You know, you can you can legally do it, but you do have to know the law and follow the law and have your loved one refrigerated within a certain amount of time after death. So there's a lot of details and uh, learning how to file a death certificate is not easy. I've been a funeral director for over 15 years and it's still a challenge for me. So um, something I recommend for families, not straight out the gate, but I do support families that come to me and they request a home funeral and a I, um, an experience that they can have in their home and never have to leave the home. I will absolutely support anyone who wants to do that. No, I didn't ask that question to encourage anyone, <laughs> the DIY yeah. part, but, but it's an option for families. Okay. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Fam- it's important to know what your rights are legally and mm-hmm. whatnot. And mm-hmm. I think that, um, you know, I would support any family who reached out to me and and was looking for information, absolutely. Now, I understand there are not very many female embalmers. Is that correct? Things are changing. Right. Things have started to change in the past 15, 20 years. We've seen an influx of women coming into the field. But what I find is that women, they... They come into the field and they quickly realize that it's not glamorous Mm. and it's a dirty job and it's stressful and it takes your time away from family and kids. And it's also not um, really a high paying job. Really? You know, funeral directors make on average about as much as teachers make. And we work uh, 24-7. We work doctor's hours. We're on call 24-7 every holiday. You know, there's been many Mother's Days that I've I've 
you know, been preparing someone's loved one instead of sitting next to my own mother. Mm. Many Christmases that I've missed, you know, that Christmas day with my family because I'm helping someone else who suffered a loss. A sacrifice for sure. Absolutely. An unexpected sacrifice because it's not like a doctor's office where you look at the calendar or the schedule and you're like, oh, this person's coming in. You're, no, yeah, you're, you're you're getting calls every night and in the middle of the night, mm-hmm. and then you have to get up in the middle of the night and you drive to the location um, where the person has died and you pick them up and bring them back to the funeral home. Um, so, it's it's definitely a challenging job. Women can do it. Women do it. There's a lot of embalmers that are funeral dire- uh, women that are funeral directors and embalmers, but. When I have st- my students that come in that are females, I right, fr- right out the gate, I tell them, this is what you can expect. And you're going to have to work harder than the men because the men will expect you to fail. Wow. So wow. you got to step it up. I wouldn't have thought to hear that. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. It's a male-dominated field. Any, any male-dominated field where women come in and they're um, basically – Working alongside those men, you always have to have more accolades. You have to have more education. You have to have more experience. You, I mean, it's it's a lot of pressure, for sure. You talked about your students. So, do you have a book? I do. I have a little ebook. Yes. Tell me more. I do. I wrote this book. I've been producing embalming tips for over ten years on my Instagram, and I've gotten quite a following from these embalming tips. I think there's a lot of just curious morbidly curious people, not necessarily professionals, that like to read them. And I thought, you know what? I'm going to put this into an ebook for people because this is something that you can't readily find information on. And as much as I love the art and science of embalming, I can understand why some families would say, no, I don't, I don't want my loved one to, go un- the, to undergo that procedure. Mm-hmm. But you have to know what it is, right, mm-hmm. before you can make that decision. Um, and it's much like plastic surgery, really. It's just plastic surgery on the dead. That's what it is. Wow. So there's some people in life that are very adamant that they just do not believe in plastic surgery, right? Um, and then there's some people in life, as you know, it's a multi-billion dollar business. So some people want to look good after they die, too. I mean, nobody wants to look like a canned ham in their... <laughs> in their <laughs> casket right <laughs> i don't give me a tummy tuck I, maybe that's why we <laughs> opt to get cremated so no one sees that last <laughs> image of us i'd rather have that picture of yeah, this remember me this way well i can make you look beautiful <laughs> <laughs> well i'm not ready to go there yet i've got some things i want to check off my list first <laughs> but i appreciate that um I do have a final question before I ask that. Is there anything that I did not ask? Because this is a topic that you don't just talk about every day that you want to share with our listeners and our viewers. Yeah, I I really want to encourage this conversation. Um, death positivity is, I think, something that we all should embrace. You can never fully live until you know how to die, mm. right? So I think most people are so afraid to talk about it because they feel like maybe it's contagious or if you talk about it you're gonna die or you know like these to say about sex like just talking about sex won't make you pregnant <laughs> it's the same with death like if you're not gonna die just by talking about it but it does seem to uh it does seem to calm our fears once you start talking about it and um at least for me being an embalmer my relationship with death is um 
it's a little more lighthearted than the regular person because I, I consider death to be one of my closest confidants. That is, death is who I talk to every day on a regular basis mm -hmm. where most people don't. So take my advice as somebody who knows death well. It's not that scary. You should talk about it. You should talk about it with your loved ones. Talk about your wishes and talk about different manners of death too. As you know, it can be unexpected, but there are some people that have the opportunity to make plans. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. They do. So um, it, you can't just say, well, I want to be cremated or I want to have this big funeral because you don't know really when or how this is going to happen. So you should, you should have a few plans in case, you know, car accident, die in, there, in your bed, comfy in your favorite socks at 95 years old. Two and different you, circumstances. Right. Well, and that's something else I wanted to mention before I do ask my final question, and that is because you do deal with the dead. Um, I don't know you well enough to know how you look at life, but I know that people who know me know that I live as to the fullest as I can and not judgmental, right? Because I have experienced death with the passing of my daughter, Nicole. And then six years later was my sister, my baby sister, Lisa, and she died in her sleep. So I had two things, the opposite, like mm -hmm. you said. One was tragic. I was in the accident with my daughter. And then was my sister where she just went to sleep and didn't wake up. And this wasn't to fear, put fear in anyone about going to sleep or getting into a car. I'm not doing that at all. But it changed me. It allowed me to see the value of life, the value of memories, and why I always take pictures. I was like, you're always taking pictures and you're always posting about everyone else. Because if that's the last thing, the last image you have, I want to be a part of it or it's going to be a part of me. You know, one way or another, someone's going to yeah. know that that exists because it's, time has been frozen forever, yes. right? So where I was going with this is, how do you value life knowing that you have death every single day in and out, that you're making beauty for the last time that our loved one's going to be seen by us. How do you take that into your life? Well, it has changed me in a, a number of ways, but I would say the biggest way that working alongside death has changed me is that I really, really do not hold on to anger, especially with my loved ones and my friends. Um, I just let it go. I let it go because I know that that could be the last conversation I have with them or that could be the, the last time I see them. So I don't hold on to anger like how other people do at all. And I celebrate everyone's small successes. I think that's important. That's okay. how death has changed me. I really love to celebrate people's small successes um, with them and be a part of that. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I think working alongside death overall has given me such a bright look on life and I truly do I value every minute with my family every minute with my friends right now this time with you is is such a gift to me I to, was just thinking it's, that it's such a gift and yeah. I I really do you can ask anyone that knows me that's how I live my life mm -hmm. I live my life in those small moments never looking in the past never looking in the future sitting right here right now and appreciating this moment for what it is a hundred percent with you on that one a hundred percent and you in the field that you're in you actually have given me comfort and i share this with you with my daughter passing away it's just one of those you gave me like a full circle and i tell people i have full circles and i love that i get those but the full circles work for me and this has given me a full circle of life and death i live it this way but you have that end of it that i have 
at the beginning at the same time. I don't know if that made sense. It made sense in my head to me because it gives me a comfort to know that you were someone that took care of my love. You didn't personally, but your field of work, your experience, your expertise, your profession took care of my daughter and my sister. And whoever else is going to be seeing this or hearing this needs to understand that there's someone else that touches our loved ones that we didn't know that still consider what we feel and what we see. Oh, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. A hundred percent. I know most people don't think about my job, right? And what I do. I didn't before. No. So that's why I said to me, it's a great thing. But it is, it's, it is, I don't know. I'm blessed. I feel very thankful to be able to, to do the kind of work that I do and serve the families and, and be able to walk that person to the end of the line there with uh, respect and dignity. Yes. And, um, I know my friends and family and the people that I serve, once they meet me and they know that it's me that's caring for their loved one, I think it does, I, I hear that sense of like that sigh of relief. Mm-hmm. Cause then you know, you're like, oh, okay, it's just Monica. Oh. It's just Monica, she's, she's gonna be fine. And I'd give the families updates too. I'll call them and say, you know what? She's doing great, she's resting well. I just bathed her and she looks so pretty. And her, wow. you know, I, I gave her a, a I flat ironed her hair or I gave her a facial or (laughs) whatever I can do that last little, that last little bit of care. Mm -hmm. You know, I do let the family know that because I think it does matter to people. Thank you for sharing that. That, that touched my heart. It really did. Yeah. Something that you do every day, something that I don't know about every day that people just go about their days with their fears or their, or their successes and celebrations. Um, the love that you put into it, even though you didn't know the person. If we just loved everybody, you know, we'd all be happy, maybe. True. <laughs> so True. <laughs> I do have one final question that um, I love to ask everyone. For me, it allows me to get maybe a better idea of who I thought was here or m- want to know more about that person. And the question is this. What message would you like to leave everyone based on your journey of your life? Oh, what message what I'd like to leave everyone. Well, this is stories of hope. Mm -hmm. So I would like to leave on the note that um, don't give up hope. No matter how hopeless you are, you may be on a really bumpy grief journey. Um, You may be struggling with alcohol or drugs, uh, loss of a loved one, divorce. There's all kinds of different grief that we go through in our life. Don't give up hope. Mm. That's going to be my message. Beautiful. Thank you, Monica, for enlightening me, comforting people on maybe questions they may or may not have had or even thought to even ask, and for your profession, because it does matter in the end. And I say that respectfully. Thank you for being my guest today. This inspiring story was brought to you by MMG, your global creative agency based right here in downtown Chandler.